0: You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host, Ben Wolf.
1: Happy to have you once again for another episode of Win Win, an entrepreneurial community. Uh, I am your host, Ben Wolf, again. And uh, we're going to learn today from, uh, from somebody who is a founder and owner of both a law firm and a wealth management company today, uh, how, to, uh, how to pivot your business model when you realize that you're in a dying industry. And uh, number two is uh, we're gonna hear about, uh, about a difficult business divorce he went through years ago, uh, how he, you know, and, and how he, you know, how he through his experience, you know, in, uh, as an attorney and in wealth management, can uh, you know what he's learned and how he helps clients in terms of how to uh, how to how to preemptively help yourself and avoid some of those very real risks from things that actually happen in real life. And um, as always, uh, the goal here is to share information that everybody out there in the entrepreneurial community can use in their businesses and in their lives right away. And uh, that is what we focus on when we have guests here. Uh, so please subscribe, leave a review. On wherever you're listening to this, Google, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, whatever that uh, that will make sure that it is no longer is not only more available to you to listen to in the future, but to others as well. So uh, that will help make it available through the algorithms and more prominent in the search search results, and uh, and uh, share this value that you know we're learning through you know today's guest and through uh, and through future guests and past guests uh, for more people. So. Let's go ahead and do that. And uh, so with that, I'll, I'll begin to just say a little bit about our guest today, uh, who, is, um, who is somebody... who who was the founder and CEO of Beacon Wealth Management. He is the uh, also founder and lead partner at Shaw & Associates, uh, a Wills Trust and Estates law firm based out of New Jersey. And uh, he is an alumni of the Tony Robbins Business Mastery 1 and 2 programs. Uh, That is actually how we know each other and how we got connected uh, through the Business Mastery 1 program back in January uh, in Palm Beach. Uh, You can learn more about... His uh, his legal work at uh, lawesq.net. That's law l a w e s q dot and you can learn more about the uh, uh, wealth management side at uh, beaconwealth.us. And uh, without further ado, I give you Neil Shah. Welcome, Neil.
0: Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me.
1: It is my pleasure, well, and thanks thanks for being on. And you know we've we've enjoyed talking over over the months, and uh, and so I'm glad to um, and I'm glad to share the. You know, they're quite diverse experience I mean you you know you have a law firm and uh, a wealth management company so it's really helping people on on, on a wide range of angles so I definitely want to get into more of the context of, um, of of how you got to those you know what may seem at least at the outset like a, like a very diverse couple of businesses uh, but actually how they're you know how they're related and and, and how they're inter interrelated um, but first, I guess I just wanted to try to get people a little more context into where you're coming from, so know you know your attorney, uh, and I think the law firm was first. Um, but um, if you could just give us like a you know maybe like a two minute history of of this, you know I, I referenced earlier in the introduction this business divorce years ago. I know that you know maybe it's something that many people wouldn't want to talk about, but I know you're relatively open about it, and it's something that other people can learn from. So maybe if we could just get like a two minute you know, history of where you came from, what happened with this, you know, business divorce and, uh, and, you know, and, and, what that led to afterwards.
0: Yeah, sure. And, uh, and feel free to cut me off if I'm going into too much detail here, but, uh, okay. but, uh, I guess I'll, I'll try to summarize it. And chronologically, uh, I graduated from law school in about, in 2000 and, uh, I, I, I knew pretty early on that uh, entrepreneurship or at least at least being my own boss was in my cards in the future. Mm. So I, uh, I um, here I am. I'm studying for the bar exam and uh, come the bar exam was in July of two thousand, uh, July, I want to say twenty fifth or so. I'm scheduled to get married August 12th, 2000, and oh, wow. I get a call, <laughs> literally the week before I'm getting married, from a cl- a new judge, Judge David Wax in Wayne, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's about to get appointed to the bar, uh, t- sorry, to the bench, and uh, he doesn't have a clerk yet um and he interviews me and essentially offers me the job the day before I graduate uh I'm sorry the day before I'm getting married <laughs> so I uh I basically get good there news the day in be- one week, it, it was an eventful yeah especially cuz my wife and I were leaving for our honeymoon the day after we got married and I was going to be oh, gone boy. for 10 days so it was it was definitely a better feeling but um but I was very open with the judge uh and I and I let him know that I had no intention of ever working for somebody else I, I wanted to have my own practice at some point mm mm-hmm. mhm um, and, and I intended to use the first year to learn as much as I could about the business of law. And, uh, he was extremely supportive. In fact, I call him my law father. Uh, so we, we basically, uh, we basically have this great relationship and we continued it until he passed away some years later. Wow. And, uh, the day after my clerkship ended, uh, my wife and I took a trip to Greece, came back and I did my first ever real estate closing on September 10th, 2001. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, well, that exactly. was so, well, b-
1: besides the anniversary of that being a, a few days. You know, very recently, obviously the next day was very big for everybody.
0: It was enormous. It was a it was a flood of emotions. Um, here I am starting my own practice. I want to be happy. My wife and I want to go out and celebrate. But uh, obviously, we were nobody was in a celebratory mood. Mm. Um, but i did I did uh, continue with that practice and within a year or so of being this solo I had real estate contacts and business contacts I was just doing a lot of real estate law and it was very transactional in nature mm-hmm. but I used it to develop relationships with clients and if you've ever done a real estate closing, you know the documents get sort of redundant after a while there's not a whole lot of um, explanation required uh so while you're pushing papers in front of your clients' faces, you're really just having conversations, and I learned a lot about business relationship development, or okay. just relationship development in, in general, because you, you learn to ask the right questions, you get to build a database of people who you're serving, and a lot of these closings were in people's homes, at their businesses, so they started coming to me for transactional work. While this is all going on, so This I, is business um, transaction d- work. I'm sorry?
1: This is for bu- business-related transactions, mostly?
0: Yeah, it graduated from really residential real estate to some commercial real estate to eventually doing business transactional work, like lease review type work and people buying and selling businesses, taking out financing for their businesses, that sort of work. Mm -hmm. Very transactional in nature. And I really enjoyed the advisory aspect of it. Um, In hindsight, I didn't enjoy the transactional part of it at all. Uh, I didn't enjoy the adversarial part of law. I didn't enjoy... Uh, the deadlines that came with transactions. It, it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and while this is going on, I met up with a partner. Uh, I met up with somebody who would soon become my partner. And we decided to uh, to put our practices together. And we formed a law firm, uh, Patik and Shah. And it basically continued from, say, 2001-ish to 2009. And after that, we had the opportunity to merge with another firm uh, in Atlanta, To create more of a national presence okay (laughs) that lasted for a year and uh, and i ultimately decided to start sean associates which is the current law firm and all the while i had transitioned from doing transactional with the side of estate planning to just estate planning and um where i am today uh is is basically we've cut everything out and that's been the case for i want to say at least four or five years at this point uh But in addition to the law firm, you know, one of the things that I I loved about the law firm was the advisory part of it. I didn't enjoy the transactional part, but Mm -hmm. even with the estate planning part and the advisory part, I'd be meeting these fantastic people and these these families and these business owners. And I get this opportunity to go really deep with them and help them on their advisory or their legal advisory work for a month, two months, maybe six months. And after that, we're done because the legal work was done. So, in finding a way to provide more massive value, as Tony Robbins would tell us, and to find a way to to continue that relationship and and uh, and and be incentivized for them and for me, we added the financial services component, which was a way to uh, not just make it transactional in nature, but make it more of a long term relationship. So well, that me, was the spirit can, it. can I just move back, move backwards yeah, a little
1: bit? So I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess you know when when this when this didn't work out with. You know, with the, with the other partner and and the merger or partnering or affiliation or whatever it was with the firm in Atlanta, there uh, I I I guess I guess I got the impression from previous conversations that there were difficulties I guess associated with that that maybe you know that maybe you realize afterwards could have been um, could have been preempted or or helped or or you know or mitigated in some way. I guess would you mind mm-hmm. talking about that in you know just to. Uh, would you mind talking about that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and listen, we, we had some fantastic success at the beginning. Um, in fact, we, we had uh, spun off and we started another company as a sort of a um, a corollary to the law firm. We started a title company uh-huh. and uh, things were things were fantastic. You know, when we started the business, when we started that law practice, and this is the case with so many business owners that I've worked with we were on the same page. Uh, we were at a, a similar point in our lives. We had similar goals. We had similar ideas as to how to grow the business. Mm-hmm. And we built our business with that in mind. And again, if you asked me this at the time, I wouldn't have been able to speak to this. This is all hindsight, obviously. Right, but. W- one thing we didn't consider, and what you're saying was, is things that
1: were not in writing. Meaning mean, you just, you just, as humans, you were, you were, <laughs> you were just on the same page, and, and that was kind of the assumption behind things. It was this was not That's necessarily right. in writing. That's exactly right. right. And
0: and you know, the, there there might have been. I, I know there were actually legal documents that identified uh, what would uh, what would a, a, an operating agreement or a partnership agreement. That, mm-hmm. So we did have the legal documentation in place. What was lacking severely was basically where we wanted to go with the long-term future of the firm. And Mm -hmm. I think if we just had candid conversations about that, we would have probably discovered that we were on not the same page with respect to how to grow it. And we would have found ways, I like to think, to reconcile those two. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens all too often. You know, if somebody just puts on the lawyer hat and says, hey, make sure you get a partnership agreement. Make sure you get an operating agreement in place. That's important. It's certainly important in the event of a death, disability, you want to have that. Right. But I think what's missing, and you and I, Ben, have been speaking about this a lot, what's missing is sort of this this framework, this almost like a GPS as to where you think you want to go right. and accounting for chain circumstances. And I think that was what was missing. We just we were missing this authentic conversation as to this is what I'm expecting out of my business, and this is how my business is going to serve my life, and this is what I'm willing to do in order to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And um, if we had that conversation, we would have probably discovered that we weren't on the same page with a lot of things.
1: Right, right. I guess at that point, to either, either like you said earlier, you know, probably you feel like get on the same page. And again, it's earlier enough in the process that you're not already so invested in it that you could really have a more open conversation about you know what that might look like is there a joint future that would make both of us happy Uh, or you know you might have discovered that it was irreconcilable and you would not have been able to get out i guess or or not get out but you would have been able to avoid avoid a a situation with you know with the pitfalls of the future
0: yeah no question i mean You know, So I think it's two things, I I definitely think there's an aspect of it that could have been discussed at the onset, but I think equally as important was to create a system and an infrastructure where you have this constant check-in, and it doesn't have to be a daily check-in, but quarterly, annually, figuring out because, like I said, we we were on the same page at the beginning, but along the years, things changed and we wanted different things from the business and we wanted different things from our lives and if we had a system of regular check-in and maybe communication there we probably would have discovered that and that's not to say that a partnership would have broken up i mean partnerships right. are like marriages right just right. you might have frequently found found your, a way, your spouse yeah. is not the same person that you married right, uh, 10 absolutely. years later so no, right, you've got yeah, to keep both you discovering each different. other
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. well yeah and i mean i think you know part of what you're hinting at is this is this connects to to the, uh, to the EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system framework that, you know, that we speak about. And, you know, I'm a, I'm an EOS implementer. I help, I help, uh, I help entrepreneurial companies to, uh, you know, to implement EOS in their, in a, in their own businesses. And, and one of the aspects of that is, is this critical thing that you, you pointed out, um, you know, from your own, from your own experience where, where it wasn't done in the past of, uh, of uh, of of all getting on the same of spending the time to get on the same page together, and um, you know us implementer helps people do that in the leadership team, and uh, and then and they do have those you know they do have those quarterly check-ins to check in. Are we still on the same page with our vision about where we want to go in the next uh, 90 days, in the next one year, in the next three years, in the next 10 years? Those are all marking points that we're continually checking in every quarter. Uh, to see if we're on the same page with what our values are, with where you know what kind of people we want to have in the in the organization, what you know where we want to be in a few years. Um, so yeah, I mean that uh, you know obviously any company that's that's using eOS is going to uh, is going to um, you know is, is 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 for sure going to be going through that process to you know hopefully be able to avoid some of that pain. Yeah,
0: no question, and and I think Ben, I, I credit you because in the time that you and I have been speaking, um, definitely since since we've connected, I, I've got I've definitely changed my mindset. Uh, it used to be the the old school way, and many businesses still operate by having these business plans, which are twenty twenty five pages or mm-hmm. maybe fifty pages long. And I think of the business plan almost like you would think of a MapQuest, If you if anybody remembers MapQuest or oh, remembers gosh. You, know, That's a blast you know you from print the this. Exactly. <laughs> but what do we have today? We have GPSs. Yeah. We have GPS on our phone and Constantly what you really need is a read. GPS. Yeah, exactly. If you know what your destination is and it's not your permanent destination, then you can account for detours. You can account for change circumstances. Right. But but the GPS allows you to do that. When you have a printed out map like a MapQuest, that's more like a business plan. It's concrete mm. and it doesn't account for the change circumstances as much. So, you might need a combination of both, but you I definitely put more of value in the GPS model than I do on That's the MapQuest model. Never,
1: I've never heard that that analogy before. I don't know if analogy or simile or, or parable, I don't know whatever the right term is, but but I've never heard that before, that comparison of something that's printed out in advance versus versus a GPS that's constantly adapting. So that's very, uh, I like that. I'll have to use that in the future. I like that.
0: <laughs> Well, we actually use the same thing. Um, we've been using the, uh, w- and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but with the legal practice and the financial practice, a lot of people's financial plans were just that. They were maps. They were these printed out financial 70-page financial plans. But mm-hmm. what you really need is that GPS model because you don't know when a healthcare situation. So it, it it works on so many different levels,
1: right? So let's yeah. So let's let's jump into that. I think that um, you know. So I guess the first thing I, w- I was thinking about is uh, is is what are some of those things? I mean, one of the things we talked about that we really wanted to to cover for people today was you know you could speak like you, you spoke about earlier from the financial perspective that's, you know the asset protection perspective tax legal threats i mean you, you you really from a professional perspective you really cover you know you you cover people from all of the all of the angles uh, much more so than most professionals so i th- i think that what you could share with people you know is is really key today so you know what are the financial the tax the legal threats that people are just not even thinking about that they you know that they that they they could, if they, you know, if they, if they, if they thought about it or went to a professional about it, um, would be able to protect themselves on. Like, what are some of these threats—financial, tax-wise, legal—that people aren't thinking about? Like, what, what, wow. open our eyes to some of those. Like, a few examples, yeah. maybe.
0: There's so much there. Um, well, well, right. I'm sure. Looks- right.
1: I'm sure we can go on for three hours on this. Obviously, we only <laughs> have a few minutes, but. At least a couple of a couple of of common examples of things that people are not cognizant of.
0: Often. Sure, sure, and I and, I'll, and I'm sensitive to the fact that most of your listeners are are business owners, yeah. and entrepreneurs, or or soon to be entrepreneurs. So I'll try to keep an angle towards that. Um, I guess as an umbrella term, and and we've we've heard this in multiple different educations, Ben. Uh, we know what we know. We know what we don't know. Like I know that I don't know Cantonese. Right. Um, I know that I know, you know, about IRAs. I don't know what I don't know. And I think this is where right. business owners really, really get into this trap of not knowing what they don't know. And this is gonna sound a little self-serving, but it doesn't have to be you or me, but y- you really need to get somebody to who's not so in the trenches to step back and look at the big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think the biggest trap that I hear people see people going through is um, the entrepreneur, you know, the the saying about a business owner is the business owner is somebody who works 16 hours a day for themselves. So they don't have to work eight hours a day for somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Right. Yeah. Right. So if, if you think of the average business owner who works, say, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, they might devote maybe one, two hours max a week to something that's not necessarily devoted to Profit generation or business management—the traditional stuff. So, working so quote unquote on the business itself, mm-hmm. and I think it's really important to yeah, one leverage or two would that be a lot. time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that maybe maybe one or two a month is probably more accurate, right? <laughs> All right. So, I, I think it's important for for folks to start taking more of a proactive approach with this. I think that's the biggest trap that I'm going to say. So, uh, I can get into some specific strategies as well, but I, I think too many professionals, too many advisors to business owners tend to operate in this reactive world. Oh, we got an audit or, oh, we have a tax deadline coming up or, oh, somebody's sick. So we have to get a disability Mm -hmm. um, document in place or, or we're getting sued. So now it's time to answer that complaint. And we all know that, you know, whether it's medicine, whether it's law, whether it's tax, reactive planning doesn't, it's not planning reactive is just uh, you're doing just that you're reacting just, to the out external circumstances, external management. forces exactly crisis management so i do think that if you don't have some sort of i'm gonna say at a minimum twice a year check-in you should be checking in with your advisors uh, whether it's uh, it should be pre-tax planning and it should be right after the new year begins so you've got sort of your goal setting out there so i do think that's probably the biggest trap that you get into um, specific strategies, so, yeah, what, is, what happens when people, yeah.
1: what happens if I don't go to my accountant or my financial advisor, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, once, uh, you know, in the new year or whatever it is, what, what's going to happen?
0: Well, I mean, let's just use the last two years as an example. We've had probably the most dramatic tax law changes in three decades in the last two years. Uh-huh. And there are things like the, uh, the QBI, the Qualified Business Interest Deduction, that's, uh, that's changed uh, basically some folks' tax rates from, from what might have been 40% to 20% on certain corporate-type planning. Again, beyond the scope of our podcast today. But is there are there conversations that should be had about whether it makes sense to convert from an S corporation or an LLC, uh, taxed as a partnership, over to a C corp? I'm not saying everybody's got to do it, but I think you've got to have that conversation. Are there individuals who are making charitable gifts, which it made sense for them to do it over the course of annual uh, gifting, to now consider either batching them or folks who are in retirement to start doing things like doing qualified charitable distributions? Absolutely. Um, if you've got the opportunity to do some tax harvesting, I I can't see federal tax rates ever being lower than they are right now. What's a, so, what, does ta-
1: what, is, what does tax harvesting mean? Okay, yeah. Uh, and again, this <laughs> just a yeah, definitional a little, question.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. This might get a little too technical so I apologize for throwing that out there in advance, but if I know that uh, that I've got a certain amount of gain that I'm going to be taking this year and I'm going to pay the tax on that gain, is there somewhere else that I could be taking losses to offset the gain so that I can minimize my taxes? And believe it or not, a lot of this stuff sits in people's brokerage statements and it might be for the business owner it might be other business assets where you have some opportunities to start taking some losses and some gains now who's the right person to speak to about this stuff when you speak with your accountants nothing against accountants but most of them don't operate in this tax planning space they Mm -hmm. operate in the in the more of the tax filing state or the, the reaction phase when you speak to financial advisors, most of the big wirehouses and I'm not going to name names here, but most of them have very clearly in their documentation that they're not going to give tax legal advice. Mm-hmm. And when you speak with most attorneys, most attorneys are going to be operating in the space of, hey, that's really a conversation for a tax professional. I'm not a tax advisor. So who's going to be the person who's going to quarterback this whole thing? Who's going to be the one who's proactively looking at it? And that's really where I saw the void in this in this business, and that's where mm-hmm. I saw an opportunity as well.
1: Okay, so what did so just just very briefly then what what did you know what did what did you see based on that uh, based on that and you know how do those and how do those two parts of the business or two aspects of service interact with each other?
0: Yeah, so our model is uh, like I said, it's unique. It's uh, we may not be the only ones who do it this way, but I just don't know too many other advisors who do it this way. Uh, mostly because you'll see the folks who are comfortable in the estate planning space, stick to the estate planning space, comfortable in the legal space, stay in the legal space, stay in the uh, tax space. So a typical representation is going to be somebody's going to come in and they're going to they're going to have a need. So they're probably going to come in because somebody told them that they needed a will or they needed a trust or they're a 50% partner in a business and they want to make sure that their 50% interest makes its way to the right people. Or they're a 50% partner in a business and they want to make sure that their, uh, their partners shares don't wind up with the wrong people. So mm-hmm. it'll usually start with some sort of reactive need like mm-hmm. that. And I almost use it as, um, I, I use the, met, the emergency room analogy. If somebody comes into the emergency room and, uh, and they're having chest pains, severe chest pains, the first thing you got to do is triage the, the patient. And we're going to make sure we triage the client. We're going to make sure that we address the stuff that's either catastrophic or just a, a heart attack waiting to happen whether it is a succession planning document, whether it's a buy-sell agreement, a will, a power of attorney, a trust. After we've triaged the client, after we've made sure we address the imminent need, the next thing to start doing is, like the patient, get them on a healthy diet and get them exercising and get them back to health. And that's where the proactive planning starts coming in. So that's when we'll start reviewing every single one of our clients' statements, their tax returns, and start finding their unique opportunities. Mm-hmm. If they have grandchildren and they, their goal is to help their grandchildren take care of, uh, uh, of college education, if they're a young parent and the goal is to make sure that you have some catastrophic planning in place, there might be an insurance need. If they're um, if they're getting reamed on taxes and they are a business owner, and uh, at the same time they're not taking any chips off the table from their business, then it might be time to start thinking about some sort of retirement planning that might also double as tax planning. So these would be examples of of basically that three hundred and sixty approach.
1: Okay, so that's that's big stuff, and and then maybe this is also going backward again for for the next question. But you know, we were re- referenced earlier how you pivoted your business. I think one, one thing we talked about, and one thing Tony Tony Robbins talks about, is recognizing what. Uh, what stage of life, and he compares the he compares the state of a business, and the, or even the state of an industry to different ages in hu- human life. And you can have an industry that's in the infancy stage, or a business that's just getting started. It's at the infancy stage, or in the toddler, you know, uh, <coughs> adolescent, tween, you know, teenager, and and sometimes there's there's old age stage of a business or stage of a. Of an industry that is just kind of you know dying out is with clients I always bring up the uh the example that you know that uh if if you're in the the buggy whip selling business uh you know then there's really not not much I could do to help you with execution on on making that a big success um you know uh with uh with with the advent of cars in the last hundred years so the um the uh, you know, so I, I guess the question is, you know, how did you see your your industry, what stage of life it was in, and uh, and, and how you know, and I because I think this is something that people can can really learn a lot from, in terms of being cognizant and conscious of their own of their own of the state of their own business and the state of their own industry, and being honest with themselves about that, and how they might pivot or adapt, uh, to still be a success, uh, even when even if they find that their industry is in the uh, elderly stage, you know, is not, uh, not exactly in the growth phase of their industry. So how, how well, did you fantastic. see that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we both learned this during the, uh, the business mastery education as well. Yeah. But um, I think, and Tony, Tony Robbins articulated this well, but I, I do feel that we've always adopted this. You fall in love with your customers. You fall in love with your clients, not your product. And I think too many people uh, in my industry, uh, specifically the law industry uh, and the financial industry, fell in love with their products more than they fell in love with their clients. And they, they made an uh, an effort, or they didn't make an effort, I should say, to pivot. So I guess a classic example for this is when the estate tax uh, exemption started going up. It, federally right now, in 2019, you can effectively die with $11.4 million and not and your your beneficiaries would not have to pay an estate tax on your estate. Right. Which is a pretty high exemption. Right. Now so that tr- used trust to
1: be. And attorneys are going to be like, well, not much for us to do now.
0: Well, that's exactly right. it. And and unfortunately that became the na- the narrative is, well, I guess there's no need to do estate planning anymore. But last I have checked, studies show that 100% of us are still going to pass at some point. <laughs> I haven't done any independent research into this, <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah. that's generally what I what I've come to know. Right. So people're still passing, come on. That's <laughs> right, right. I know. I know. I really should have some research to back this up. <laughs> but but people are still going to pass away. People are still becoming disabled. Kids are still fighting over inheritances. That hasn't changed. Now, that, that's a classic example of falling in love with your product, which was estate tax planning, right. as opposed to falling in love with your client and listening to their needs. And did our conversations change? Absolutely, they did. But but that just means that you've got to have that conversation. You've got to be listening so where, to your clients. So where did that lead you? um ultimately what what i the conclusion that i came to uh, it, and it did happen to you know whether it was serendipity or whether it was actually you know smart thinking on my part the the holistic model the 360 planning the total the adding the tax the legal and the financial all together it really fit in really well because that's what what i kept hearing from my business owner clients and my non-business owner clients is look i i, I don't ha- i don't know what i don't know I need somebody who's going to take ownership of this and have the conversations with me that I don't even know I need to have. Mm-hmm. So, sitting in and listening with with clients, having agendas as to what making sure it's their agenda and not my agenda became huge. And whether I've got a young surgeon who uh, may be named in a lawsuit and we need to make sure that we've got uh, the, the kids' money ta- uh, protected, mm-hmm. or whether it's somebody who's about to exit a business and uh, they wanna make sure that they do everything they can to minimize their taxation, but then make sure that their money stretches out not just for them, but for future generations. If you listen to your customers, they will tell you exactly what they need. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and ultimately, you you get, to provide, you get to continue to provide that value. So I think that was a, that was a big part of it for me was just listening and specifically for me, like I said, the the planning conversation never really stopped. The what I kept hearing loud and clear is the taxes part of it is huge. They they really, you know, you, you're going to be paying anywhere from thirty seven percent to twenty two percent, or sorry, twenty two percent to thirty seven percent. Where do you want to be, and how quickly do you want to get there? And I think that's um, that 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 I heard loud and clear.
1: Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's fascinating. I, I think that, uh, I think that, that, that it's a huge value that, you know, that I think that people should be, you know, can, who are listening to this can get out, can get out of that of understanding, you know, like you said, falling in love with your clients, with your customer, not with, not with your product. Um, and how, you know, you're, you're talking about that on a, you know, uh, on how important it, you find it to be to do that, not only on a, not only on a like all of your customers collectively and what they need and how you could pivot your entire business. But even on the individual level of individual conversations, listening to what they need and not just thinking about which product, you know, would can I most easily sell in this situation or which service? Um, and so, you know, I think that's I think that's key. Uh, I think another key takeaway for me from this conversation is is. Uh, is is pivot is pivoting the business? I mean, just the the way that you go from you know you know uh, you know trust in estates you know and and legal transactions to adding tax on a legal side, adding you know adding financial planning. I mean, that's just a huge diversification. I mean, for you know for you know to create one holistic uh, service. Uh, you know, it seems kind of rare, but it's you know. But I think the main takeaway for people is not just that they could be doing that for their own tax and and, and and financial side but the way they can approach it with their own businesses of of, of being really open-minded about what about what people need you know and, and where they could adapt adapt their business to to fill that uh, you know I think that's critical and um, you know the idea of thinking of your future and thinking about where you want to go to make sure you're on the same page with the people you're working with with your leadership team with your partners um <clears throat> so that you can either get on the same page or uh or separate or you know it, you know before it's you know b- you know before the cost is too high just by doing that kind of thinking in advance and save yourself a lot of pain uh whether whether it's through being on the same page from the very beginning or through uh, or through avoiding you know avoiding a difficult situation so really really appreciate all of that thank you so much uh for for coming on today
0: thank you for having me this is fun
1: yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, and uh, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing everybody else on the other side. Thank you very much. Bye. You're listening to Win Win, an entrepreneurial community with your host Ben Wolf.